All right, good evening. Feels like I'm on balance here, but we're all right, I guess. We'll see what... <laughs> Get my... So should I tilt my... Tilt this way, or should I... <laughs> no, it's fine. All right. Odile Slavendiga? There you go. Good job, guys. Good job. All right. Yes, tonight... We are going to be dealing with the worldview of which one? Which one did I mention last night? Islam, yes. We're going to speak about Islam tonight. Uh, last night we dealt with just the general thought of worldviews, why we should study worldviews. And then we also studied about the worldview of Christianity. And we gave four things that most normal, common thinking people think of sometime during their life. What was the four things? What was the first one? Origin, Origin yes. Why we were born, where we come from. The second. Meaning. I'm sorry? Meaning. meaning, yes. What's the meaning of life? Exactly. The third one? Morality. Morality, yes. What's right and what is wrong. And the last one was? Destiny, yes. Where are we going when we die? What's going on? What is after life? What is coming afterwards? Exactly. Those are four things that that uh, it's very prevalent that we think about sometime in our life. And I believe Christianity answers all those questions well. <laughs> and it's based on the scripture. It shares those things. So yes, tonight we are going to speak on Islam. And I'd like to help passing. I'll just start with this paper first. Will you pass them out for me? Okay, there you just plug it in, it should go. Wonderful, thank you. Okay. Fine, fine, okay, very good. Okay, very good. Okay, to start out with, how many has had opportunity to actually have a close friend that would practice or be part of the Muslim or Islamic faith? Anybody here? Okay, yes. I know sometimes they do come into Lancaster County, and um, I have a little story I'm going to read a little later about that, about how the... Um, with our faith, it does actually draw attention to Islamic faith and why that is. So when you think of Islam, what do you think of? What is a, a couple word or a sentence thought of? What do you think of when you think of the term Islam in your mind? What comes to your mind? Look. I'm sorry? Violence. Violence, okay. Okay. Falsehood? False religion, okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yes, the Prophet Muhammad. Exactly. Okay. You're either part of it or you're not part of it. Okay. One more. Follow Quran. Okay, yes. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight also. All right, yes, those are some definitions. And, and how many were around, I guess probably most of us here actually, at 9-11? Yes, and who remembers where they were? Yeah, that's one of those things that we, it sticks with us, doesn't it? Because it did impact us. I remember I was, I was actually 
think we were living in North Carolina at the time when we come up to visit. I was working with my brother over in Morgantown. I still remember that. <laughs> and it's interesting that day. And then afterwards, I remember in the morning listening to the radio, the news, and it's like, what happened? Or just think, you know, just this idea, what is, what is going to happen or what has happened? And just thinking it's going to continue and trying to make that, it's kind of a normal, but just that thought process, uh, and I don't think about that now anymore, you know, listen to the news, that something's going to happen, something happened. But that was something that was going through my mind because of what took place on 9-11. So, yes, yeah, so ba- basically, number two here on our sheet, nearly, how, how much of the world do we, do they say is more or less part of the Islamic faith? What do you guess? Okay, it's a little high. They say about a quarter of the world, close to a quarter, maybe a little bit less, but right around a quarter. Uh, nearly one-fourth of the world is of the Islamic faith. So it's close, it's similar to Christianity. Uh, last night we learned that Christianity is right around two billion, they say, as far as those that use the name Christianity or Christian. And that's all variants of all sorts and... Uh, but Islamic, they would say around a quarter, a little less than a quarter. So it's similar to Christianity, actually. So it is a large proportion of the world. It really is. It's not just a sect of a, a couple million people here or there. It's, it's billions. I think one or, there's a figure around 8 billion, 7.5, 8 billion people in the world. So nearly a quarter would be, be 1.5 and 2 billion people probably is what it would be, somewhere around there. A lot of people. A lot of souls, right? Exactly. So Islam, number three, Islam means what? Everybody know what that Islam means? What's the term Islam? What does it mean? It actually means submission. Submission. The term means submission. And it's a theistic worldview centered in the life of the prophet. As Jason mentioned, uh, who else? Muhammad. I mentioned Muhammad. Centered in the life of Muhammad. And that derives its understanding of the world through the teaching of the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sunnah. Um, we're not going to get into the Hadith and Sunnah very much. That's more just the information about the Quran is what we know more about. <laughs> the Hadith and the Sunnah, I think my understanding, are like uh, biographies or some works of, of Muhammad and some of those things. But the Quran would be the major influencer of the Islamic world. Islamic faith. And something's interesting here. The majority of Muslims are not Arabs. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We just think of Muslim faith being part of the Arab, uh, the Middle East, right? With uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran. Yes, they are Muslim, but they're not the majority. The majority, they say, are in, it says nearly one half of the world's Muslim population live in Indonesia, Pakistan, India and Bangladesh. So nearly one half of the Muslim population live in those four countries. Indonesia, Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh. It was uh, Hindu, I think of India, I think more of like a Hindu in some ways. There's actually um, India would also. Bangladesh we hear about different times. Uh, Brent Stolzfus. Who knows Brent Stolzfus here? Uh, no, it's not Brent. Sorry. Brent would work with the Turkish Muslims. Uh, but there's, I know some DNI workers in Bangladesh working among the Muslim Muslim groups there, or Muslim people. Number five. So what, who do we call Muslim? What, where did they get their name? Muslim basically is the people who are culturally Islamic. So the person who is uh, practices Islamic faith are considered Muslims. Okay, people who are culturally Islamic are considered Muslims. And the founder of Islam was, we already mentioned it, Muhammad. Yes, Muhammad. And does anybody know when he was born? Does anybody know if, I'm trying to think of myself, I kind of pulled this, I don't have it written down here, but I think I remember. <laughs> anybody know when Muhammad, the time period he lived? Yeah, it's like the six, six or seven hundred years after Christ, somewhere in there. So it was after Christ when this was, was taking place. And uh, so this is the time period we're looking at. Six or seven hundred years after the time of Christ. 
And I want to read a little bit in the book of how Islam started, just to give you a background here. Because a lot of us, me included, you know, unless you learn about it, you don't really you hear about it. You really don't know some of these things. You hear about the, the faith, you know, but what are they about? Where did it start? So based, the founder of Islam was Muhammad. And according to Islamic narrative, he was born around A.D. 570, there we go, in Mecca. Or where, does anybody know where Mecca is located? Have you heard the term Mecca before? Yeah, where's Mecca located? Saudi yeah, Saudi Arabia. And in modern-day Saudi Arabia. The city's culture at that time was characterized by polytheism. And polytheism has the idea of many gods. And the belief in many deities and animism. And the belief that various spirits inhabit plants, animals, and other objects in the world. As a merchant, Muhammad also regularly encountered the monotheism of Jews and Christians. So Jews, the Jewish people would have been around. The Christianity also would have started by then. Because about six or 700 years after um, Christ, 500 years. So when he was around 40 years of age, Muhammad became troubled by a series of visions he thought were demonic. One of his wives, Kadila, persuaded him to think that the visions were from God. And in AD 610, according to Muslim tradition, Muhammad claimed the angel Gabriel visited him and commissioned him as a prophet of God. He spent the next several years transmitting the message orally into what Muslims consider the most pure understanding of God. They would call it the Holy, and what's that book called? The Quran. So this is where the Quran came from, would have been from Muhammad believing that Gabriel visited him and transmitted the message into um, orally into what Muslims consider the, the, the Quran. So the message Muhammad said God gave him was simple and elegant. There is one God who made all things, to whom all people must submit, and there will be a day of judgment in which all humans will be judged according to their deeds, both good and evil. Muhammad believed Islam to be the final, all-encompassing religion God was giving to humankind. The dictation of the Quran continued for 23 years until Muhammad's death in A.D. 632. By the early 7th century, Mecca was a trading center of great religious, economic, and political power on the Arabian Peninsula. It boasted the Kaaba. And hopefully I have a little time to show you a little bit about this Kaaba. The Kaaba is in um, Mecca. And it was a big box. It says here it, was a, it boasted the Kaaba, a large black box-like building that contained 360 tribal deities, including, which is interesting, statues of Mary and Jesus, which various tribes placed there in their regular pilgrimages, pilgrimages to the city. According to Muslim tradition, Muhammad proclaimed these tribal gods to be an offense to God, igniting a controversy that threatened the wealthy city's stability. At first, Muhammad expressed reluctance to confront Mecca's leaders, but he overcame his bashfulness through subsequent visions. Inevitably, Muhammad's teaching led to a clash with the Meccan leaders. And in AD 622, Muhammad fled to Medina, uh, an event known to Muslims as Igeda, and the migration that began in the Muslim era in the Islamic calendar. From Medina, Muhammad's followers, known today as Muslims, began raiding merchant caravans, caravans, I'm sorry, caravans, I can't say it correctly, caravans, <laughs> to gain wealth. Early victories like the one at the Battle of Badr in AD 624, in which 324 Muslims were said to have defeated a Meccan force, three times their number, added to the perception that Islam was indeed God's will. Two years later, Muslims repelled a Meccan attack on Medina. In another battle, in the following year, Muhammad agreed to a treaty with Meccan leaders, permitting him to enter the city as a pilgrim. And then on January 11th, A.D. 629, Muhammad and about 10,000 warriors captured Mecca and cleansed the Kaaba of its idols. And today, Mecca is Islam's most holy place. So there you go. That's basically the founding of, of where Islam came from, Islamic faith. And so... Muhammad thought, he was having visions, and he thought it was from the angel Gabriel. In the end, he wrote it down, and it came. And it's interesting just how this all took place and, and how it became such a force in today's world where close to a quarter of the world's population believed this. Um, but this is where it started from. Isn't Satan tricky? 
a little bit of truth, trying to, because uh, they believe in one God, which is good, and it's interesting some of their beliefs, but they, they negate salvation through Christ. So Allah, uh, number seven, Allah is the Arabic word for God, and not na- necessarily the name of God. So Allah is basically just the name given to, for God, not necessarily the name of God. And the Quran is Islam's most holy book, this is number eight, believed to be the literal words of God. That's what is believed. And so because of that, number 10, Muslims believe the Quran to be the best and most beautiful book on earth. There is no equal and nothing surpasses its content or quality. And to disrespect the Quran is a grave insult to Muslims and the most heinous act a person could commit. So they really elevate the Quran to a place of And I can respect that in some way, the idea. Sometimes I was thinking about ourselves with our, with our scripture. Sometimes we don't. An example. Like for me, I don't like to put the Bible on the floor. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't like that. I don't like to put stuff on top of my Bible in some ways. Just to respect as the word of God. Does that make sense? As some of those things. And it's interesting how they take the Quran. They, li- they want to lift it up. And I think we can learn something from that, to have respect for our holy scriptures and not just take it and, you know, throw it around, that kind of thing. Because we have it, it's so prevalent anymore in our lives, it becomes just kind of like another, another book to us in some ways. But no, it is God's word. The holy scripture is God's word. So that's a good example for me to, um, to respect the word of God in a sense. If I believe it's the word of God, which I do believe it is, lift it up in a manner that is respectful. Make sense? All right. In number uh, 12, there's three branches of Islam. And uh, a couple of these you've probably heard of before. The first one we're talking about is the uh, Sunni. The Sunni. The Sunni uh, is about 80% of the Muslims. Okay, about 80% of the Muslims would be part of the Sunni faith, the Sunni branch. Okay? And what makes them different? Uh, the Sunni would believe that Muhammad's successor should be chosen by a consensus of Muslims. More, uh, and we'll see the difference here. The Sunni would say it's by a consensus, like a vote or that kind of thing, is my understanding. The leader of the Islamic faith. The, the, the person who succeeded Muhammad, who the leaders that continue, should be done more by consensus. And that'd be the Sunni. The letter B. The Shiite would be the second largest branch of Islam, and they believe that Muhammad's successor should come from his bloodline. So like a king, in a sense, the bloodline. And that's, so that's the difference in the Sunni and the Shiite, and you even hear sometimes they get after each other sometimes uh, as far as in war, as it sounds like. So that's the difference in the Sunni and the Shiite. And the third one we don't really hear much about, but they would be called Sufi, S-U-F-I, Sufi. And this is a branch of Islam, and it arose as a protest to the worldliness of invading, uh, invading the Muslim faith. And this faction believes that Allah has a personal and mystical nature. So they would, because a lot of the Muslims would kind of, Allah or their God is kind of like outside in a sense, and not, not personal. And is what I understand. But the, uh, Sufi would say that God is personal. And so that's just a difference between these two. Then there are all their other smaller offshoots that come, offshoots that come from, from uh, Islamic faith. There's other smaller, smaller organizations also. Okay, some beliefs about God according to Islam. These are some interesting ones. And the first one is uh, letter A. Muslims believe God is eternal. Muslims believe God that is sorry. Muslims believe God is eternal and self-existent. Would we as Christians believe that also? Yeah, I think we would. We believe God is eternal and self-existent. He's he exists outside of us in a sense. Exactly. Um, he doesn't need us to exist. <laughs> We need him to exist. So that would be the, the Muslims also would believe that. Letter B, 
they would also believe God created everything and set the universe in order. Would we believe that as Christians? Yeah, we believe God created the world and that he set things in motion, in order. Letter C. God is viewed as sovereign over humans in history. So they would believe that God is sovereign over humans in history. Would we believe that as Christians, that God is sovereign? Yeah, we would also. We would believe God is sovereign over humans in history, that he has control in a sense. Yes, God did create himself. Uh, we can choose, but we do believe God is sovereign over that. God still has sovereignty, as long as the Islamic uh, faith also would. This is one thing that do not believe that we would believe as Christians. Muslims do not believe that the humans are made in God's image. They do not believe that humans are made in God's image. We believe we are, aren't we? Scripture says that we are made in the image of God. And so that starts, it'll change now from, from what they believe to what we believe. And last night we talked a little bit about that. How does that look? We're made in God's image. And how can that be if we still, if we sin? Because we do know we do have bad attitudes sometimes, right? <laughs> we do say things we shouldn't say. We think things we shouldn't think. We have a sin nature. How can that be if we are creating God's image? Because does God have a sin nature? No. <laughs> exactly. But why is that? Why do we sin? As we know that because of Adam and Eve, it entered sin, entered into our lives. And so, uh, like I mentioned last night, I like that thought, that example of a burnt out light bulb. You still have the form of a light bulb, but there's no light within it. And I think it's kind of like we are. We are made in the image of God. We, we are going to be eternal. We have a beginning. God didn't have a beginning, but we won't have an end. But we also, we can think. We, ra we have rational thoughts. We can actually make things, can't we? We can't create from nothing, but we can create something, right? Jason, when you guys make your playgrounds, you got to create something? And a loose term of the <laughs> create. Because when I think of create, I think of, of uh, making it from nothing. But we make things. We, we can imagine things. And uh, we have feelings. It seems like God has feelings. And so, so some of the things we are created... I believe this is where we start separating from the Islamic faith. We believe, according to Scripture, that we are creating God's image. Are we broken? Yeah. But we're still creating God's image. Another thing that they would strongly reject is the Trinity. And they also deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is where it really gets sticky. Not sticky, this is where it really gets separated. From the Islamic faith to the Christian faith is the belief in the Trinity. They would say, uh, they use a term, uh, number one, each one, it says, to believe the Trinity is called shirk, which is an interesting term. Shirk would be, sound like a, uh, that's the last name we know of, right? Shirks. <laughs> but a shirk was, basically means that, that it is the, basically like an unforgivable sin of idolatry or polytheism. And they would say the Trinity is part of that. When you believe in the Trinity, if you believe God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that's a terrible thing. <laughs> that's shirk. And it's very much, basically, like unforgivable sin. And so that's why they're such against these things. Okay? So when you start recognizing what, where their worldview is, it helps us understand why they are against Christianity so much. They would say we are really wrong because we are practicing polytheism, in a sense. Okay? They believe in one God. We believe in one God, but we also believe... This one God is represented in three distinct parts, right? Can we explain it? A little hard, isn't it? <laughs> There's some ideas we bring up to try to help us understand it. But this is a mystery of God, of God being one being, but three parts. Okay? And, uh, but no, that, they would say that it's called shirk, which is unforgivable sin of idolatry or polytheism. Letter F, Muslims acknowledge the virgin birth, which is interesting. Because there's different, they would, they would believe, I think, if, uh, like in, I think in David and Moses and some of these guys, 
They would also have that, I think, in their Quran, if I understand right, or in their teachings, some of these guys, if I understand. So they would understand, and they also believed that Jesus came, that Jesus was a person. Okay, they, weren't, they don't deny that. They would take one of the prophets, in a sense, like Muhammad, and he was just one in that line. But, so, but they also, as interesting, they do believe that he was born of a virgin. And they believe in his miraculous acts, that he did do miracles. But deny his claim as God incarnate. And the big thing here also, another big thing, they deny Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection the third day for the forgiveness of sins. So they deny the only way of salvation. As this evening is mentioned, there's only God's ways are only one way, right? There's only one way to forgive us of sins. That's through Jesus' death and resurrection. And they would deny that. They would deny that. But it's interesting. They do acknowledge there was, Je there was a Jesus. And that he was born of a virgin. And that he was able to do miracles. Letter G. What do they believe about the scripture? Our, our Bible. Does anybody know what they believe about our Bible? What do they say? They believe it's corrupted. That's the problem. Our Bible's been corrupted. It's not accurate anymore. <laughs> Through the centuries and everything happens, so they're saying it's not true because it was corrupted. And so if the Bible's corrupted, then we go that, continue and say the only thing that is authoritative and uncorrupted is their what? The Quran. So this is how they, they work this. And so Scripture is, is not, has been corrupted. It might have been originally good. Because it was written by Jesus, which was one of their prophets or one of their successors there. And because of that, it probably was fine at the beginning, but then it's been corrupted over the ages. Their Quran has not been, that is the accurate view. Okay? That's the last ultimate or the last teaching that God wants is where they come in. Letter H. Muslims reject the biblical teaching of humanity being captive to evil. Letter H here, being captive to evil. For that reason, to become a Muslim does not require redemption in the sense of being made new. It is about what is in your heart. It is not about what is in your heart, but your what? Your actions. Okay? Your actions. Change comes from the outside in, not the inside out. You change your actions, in a sense, then you'll change your heart. See what it, see? Basically, they're trying to put themselves, make themselves do right. It doesn't work, does it, guys? <laughs> no, it doesn't work for us. We can't make ourselves. I mean, we can try, but we're going to fail. <laughs> the way we can change is only by God's grace working from the inside out within our lives. Yes, we choose to do things sometimes, don't we? We choose to do right. But at the same time, we recognize that choice, if I do all these good things, is still not enough. <laughs> it's still not enough. God has got to come in and clean us. God has got to give us the power to change. But this is where the Islamic faith would say, it's by works. Your actions are what are what important, not necessarily your attitude, not your heart. Change comes from the outside in, not the inside out. Letter I. Islam believes in a final judgment. Do we believe in a final judgment, guys, as Christians? Yeah, yeah, we do. We believe the judgment is coming. And so those, that's another part. That's, we're, we're similar again. We're kind of coming back into similarities. But they say their final judgment is based on good deeds versus bad deeds, which will decide who goes to paradise or hell. And everyone is responsible for his own sin, and no one can pay for someone else's sin. Okay? So that takes away Christ's sacrifice. No one else can pay for your sin. You need to pay for it, in a sense. And what's interesting, that Christ does speak some about our works being important, doesn't he? What's an example in Scripture about our works being important? What was the story he told us? parable. 
He talks about the final judgment Jesus does one time. And he talks about the... Exactly. And what's it based on? Yeah. Yeah, you, visit, you did this, you did this. And so when do we do this? When you did the least of these, my brother, you did it unto me. So there is, there is a part of judgment that comes by works. And so I don't understand this. <laughs> don't, I, I don't quite understand. But we know our, our faith comes by grace, right? It says, not of works, lest any man should boast. So our salvation is by faith and faith alone, not of works that any man should boast. But we are created in his, for his, in his workmanship for good works. And, but our, our works somehow, you know, how do we put this together? That's a tough one, isn't it, sometimes? Sometimes we get in a ditch on both sides, don't we? We do. As Christians, sometimes we think, well, it's just by faith, and so it doesn't matter in my works. My works, it doesn't really matter. I just live how I want because my faith is, is strong. My faith is in Christ, so then everything. No, we would say no. There needs to be works here to show your faith, right? But then sometimes we get in the ditch and say, well, I do all these things, and we start thinking, God, you don't accept me because look at what I did. No, that's not right either. <laughs> and so there is a ground here, I think, in the middle. Our faith comes, our, our, our salvation comes by faith and by grace alone. There's no other way. Christ, in his mercy, given us salvation. But then our works should follow. If our actions don't follow, we better check, go back and check our where our grace and our, our salvation is there or not. So, no, it's in it, but they do. This is, this is a, but the idea of we're judged by works is very humanistic, isn't it? What, do you ever think of why it's easy to think that? That's how life's set up, isn't it? When you go do your drywall, do you expect to get paid? Exactly. That's what our life's based on. Like we do this, we get something in return. And that's fine. That's, 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 what we're, that's how it's made. That's how we live. We do this, we get this, you know. And so I, it's easy for us to contemplate that, that God also works the same way. You do this, you get this, you get something back. <coughs> but with God's kingdom, it doesn't work that way. It says our salvation is by grace, by faith in Christ. Uh, but yes, our works need to follow. And, but that is, you'll look at a lot of religions, that's what it's based on. Because that's a human, it's easy to think that. It's easy to think that in our in our in our human relationships, work and get something in return. And so we think the same with God, but God's higher than that. But Muslims would believe that. But they also, it's interesting, letter J, it says, Muslims still rely on God's mercy, though, to enter paradise. Isn't that interesting? So they recognize, but no, there's no assurance of salvation, they would say, except one reason. When are they assured of salvation, of entering paradise? What's the one thing they could do to make sure they get there? Exactly. It says that, that if you're killed while practicing jihad, we'll talk a little bit about that, but what jihad means. And let's see if I can find, maybe just skip over to that, go to that quickly. See how long it is. Da, 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 da. Let's go to letter 14 once. Um, basically, number 14, uh, the question is, what does the word jihad mean? We'll go back to the others. You don't all. Oh, that's my next paper you guys don't have yet. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and we'll pass these out and we'll take a break, okay? And then we'll come back to this. Sorry about that. I forgot to give the... Because this is the big issue here, and that's... This idea of jihad and what caused, why would someone do what they did on a 9-11? <laughs> it makes sense in their worldview. So we'll take about a five-minute break, and then uh, we'll come back together then, okay? Do the restroom or get a drink.
like? Or what is that? Because it's the number uh, we just went through. It said the only way you can have assurance of salvation or assurance that you're going to go to paradise is if you're killed while you're practicing jihad. Yeah, that's basically what it is. It's basically you're fighting against those that are not that are infidels in a sense, or people that are not practicing Islamic, or not Islam, Islamic, part of the Islamic faith. And so, on 9-11, what would they say they were doing? Practicing jihad. Can you see why they did what they did? If they're concerned that they did not do enough good work to get to paradise... Maybe they failed earlier in life. They never, they, they never gained enough good works to get there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run these planes in this tower. Then I will be assured that I will go to paradise. See how that works? And the different times you hear about people blowing up themselves with vests uh, that are explosive and kill, trying to kill people while they do it. Trying to Trying, their, their goal is to, to get the Islamic faith in these other countries, to, to promote that, okay? And so, when we think that way, okay, that makes sense why they're doing it. They actually have <laughs> their desire is not wrong <laughs> to, to have, they want to go to paradise. They realize there's eternity outside, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're, dealing, they're not dealing with the issue now, their life, they're looking at eternity, which we as Christians ought to be looking at eternity also, right? Our view of life here should be focused on eternity. What comes next? That's what we live for, and that's what's happening here. They're living, or they're trying to think of eternity. What's going to happen afterwards? And they're putting this into practice by doing this. That's why it's hard to stop it sometimes, because... When someone's willing to give their life, it's hard to stop it. Shouldn't it be that way with Christians also? It should be in a sense, shouldn't it? Not, not a holy war, but to lay down our life for other, knowing it's, it gives God glory. Does that make sense? Being willing, just like the, the five missionaries back in the 60s that would have died. They gave their life trying to reach people for Christ. Okay, and so, but that's, the, I think that's one of the reasons this, this, they're willing to do this is because of this idea of it's an automatic entry into paradise, and that's what they're looking for. So we'll go back now where we were. The, what does the Islam say about how we should live? They have what they call five pillars of the faith. We're at number 13 here. Five pillars of the faith. The first pillar is called, I don't know if I pronounce these all correctly, but I'll try it, <laughs> Shahada. And basically that is the confession of faith. And you guys probably have heard this before, I expect somewhere. And it's basically, it's, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That would be their confession of faith. And if someone says that, basically that makes them a, a Muslim in some ways, I think. <laughs> and you know, that's kind of how they look at it. That, that is their confession of faith. And somebody believes it and says it. Not only that they believe it or not, I'm not sure. But uh, that is their first pillar or their first uh, thing they need to do, shahada. The second pillar, salat. And this is praying how many times a day? Anybody know? Five. Five times a day. And where do they need to be looking towards? Mecca. And where is Mecca located? Yeah, in Saudi Arabia. So, who's ever seen this happen before? Anybody see that? Have the prayer rugs out, and they're leaning down, nailing down, and they're praying towards Mecca. And very much. And if, does that dictate your life quite a bit? If you know you've got to pray five times a day? Does that make you think through the day? Oh, what time is it? It would, wouldn't it? Every three hours or so, you're looking for a place, I've got I to pray again. So the idea, it does, it brings a organization in your life around your religious faith. 
the expectation of praying five times a day. The third pillar is called zakat. And this is basically giving 2.5% of their annual capital to the poor. So this would be uh, kind of like almsgiving, that's, I guess you'd, you'd call it. Let's see where we're at here. And the, that's the third one, Sakat, giving 2.5%. Where's my... Where's my at here? Oh, here it is. Okay, make sure I'm... That's that one. Lost my other one, two. Another wrong one is over here. Okay, I put it... Okay, here it is. Sorry. Okay, I have the wrong paper. Two, three. Here we go. All right, yes, uh, that would be the 2.5%. It's called zakat. This is going to be the third pillar. And then the fourth pillar is called son, S-A-W-N, um, or something like that. That is fasting during Ramadan. Fasting during Ramadan. Who's heard of Ramadan before? Probably a lot of us have, right? How long is Ramadan? Nearly yes, nearly a month, right on a month, close to a month. And certain time, and basically when they fast, how do they fast during that? They can't fast the whole month, do they? I'm sorry? Yeah, they fast during the daylight hours is my understanding. And, but then at night is when they can eat and do other activities. So basically they probably change their schedule around if they can. <laughs> and have, um, but it does, it's interesting, it's something, another part that they do things as a unit. It brings the community together. They're very much community-oriented. And this, does, this also brings that, that community feel. Everybody does this together. And um, basically, what, is, what do they fast with? They'll refrain from eating and drinking, smoking uh, during daylight hours. They may enjoy these things after sundown, though. Uh, there are some exceptions, they say, by traveling or illness, etc. That would be some. But this is very much part of their life. And part of the thing is, is they want to experience God. Are we that dedicated <laughs> as Christians? Wow. And the fifth pillar they say they need to do is called the Hajj, or Hajj, and it's a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in their life who have the ability and means to make the journey. Okay? It's a journey to Mecca. And I love to see... If I can bring this up, I'd love to show you just a 30-second clip of what this looks like. When remember that, is it, that uh, black box or that black building in the center? They would go in there and they circle. They have all sorts of things they do. And I believe they say it's like close to 3 million people will arrive there during this time. That's a huge amount <laughs> of people trying for, and there's a little video on this. We'll see if it works or not. See how I can bring this up here. Open here. Okay. So do they make a difference when they do that, whether it's Sunnis or Shiites? The Shiites? Yeah, I'm not sure how they work, but I know it does cause conflict sometimes in their life. Um, but I'm not sure how that works. They do, it's interesting, watch a little video, I'm not going to watch this whole thing now, but they talk about, they all go in and they wear this white robe, they all put it on. Everybody, whether rich or poor, it sounds like everybody wears the same thing. It creates a unity, and no one's upper class or lower class. Does that make sense? Everybody wears this white, oh good, it came up. Okay, uh, see if I can bring a little bit up here, just to show what it looks like when they go to this pilgrimage in Mecca. And you'll see that black building in the middle. There you go. The center of the Grand Mosque, and it was built around 2000 BC, and people have been praying towards it since before Islam started. And when Prophet Muhammad finally showed up, he cleaned up the place, got rid of all the idols that the pagans had been worshiping, and reordained the building as the house of God. See all those people? Just a mass of people. 
going around this, this black box. And, and then they do from this, they go to other parts they got to do. They got this place, they got to throw stones like they're throwing at Satan. All sorts of different things they do during their pilgrimage. But uh, there's that black box we talked about before, that Kaaba, whatever they called it, where, the, where Mohammed went in and there was idols in there and he cleaned it out and, and made it um, Islamic. So anyway, just want to show you a little bit of that and show you what it looked like, uh, what that looks like. And can you imagine three, three million people, why don't we put it asleep for now? I do this. There we go. Um, coming into this or, and trying to organize this. It's a huge undertaking <laughs> uh, for that country. Okay, so that'd be the five pillars. That would be the, uh, what was the first pillar again? Confession of faith, yes. The second one? Yeah, praying five times a day. The third one? Yeah, give it two and a half percent. The fourth one? Fasting during Ramadan, the fifth one, their pilgrimage to Mecca, which we just saw a little bit there, and they do all this activity. Yes? Is that pilgrimage happens all year round? It's just that, I think it's during a certain time. Is it Ramadan they go? It's a certain time they do it, that it's open to this. Um, it sounds, but it is a pilgrimage once a year, but it seems it's during a certain time period is my understanding. Because that's why all those people just come in at one time. So three million people come. Yeah. I'm sorry? Three million. Ninety. Ninety million. Ninety. Yeah, yeah, ninety. So for two million to get there, probably better happen. Oh, gotcha. And that's true. And, and so, and it does say if you can't, if you can afford it, it sounds like, if you can do that. But it sounds like it is something they want to do, they desire to do. That's, that is part of their pillars. Remember, they're, they're trying to earn their salvation. To get to paradise. And so this is part of it, you know. And the more good things to do, the better off you are. Okay, we'll talk, go down here a little bit now to uh, jihad. We talked a little bit about already. From the Arabic word called struggle, that's what it means. And jihad is number 15 is where we're at. Jihad is both the inner spiritual battle of every Muslim to fulfill his religious duties and the outer physical struggle against his enemies. So you have two types. Jihad, and this is where you get the difference. Number 16, moderate Muslims would see jihad as a battle to discipline themselves or perhaps a call to defend themselves against those who attack Islam. So the modern Muslim would say jihad is just me trying to make my life do what it's supposed to do. I can enter struggles. Does that make sense? And if someone attacks my country, yes, I will defend it, but not necessarily going out trying to promote it. That would be your moderate Muslims. Then you'd have the, the more radical Muslims would see jihad, as it was historically seen, as a conquest of non-believing nations. Going in and trying to conquer this nation to set up a, a Muslim or Islamic uh, kingdom. Make sense? So that would be the, more the traditional view. And that's when if you're killed while trying to do that, you're automatically under paradise. But the modern Muslim would see it more as just the battle within ourselves to do what's right. So not all Muslims, just like all Christians aren't the same, not all Muslims are the same. It's easy. To, a lot of the words when we started up here would have been, when you think of Islam, Islam, you think of the violence, right? That's kind of the first thing that comes up. There's a lot of them that would not necessarily practice that. Uh, it's part of their tradition. And uh, so it's kind of how I understand it. So the, but another thing that's interesting here is this, number 18. The Muslim way of thinking is that the world was originally Islamic. Every person was born a Muslim in submission to Allah. Those who are not now Muslims are in rebellion. Make sense? So they would say everyone born was a Muslim or Islamic. <laughs> if you're not living that way, you're in rebellion. Okay? Interesting. And then number 19, uh, to the more radical Muslim, the use of force is justified against such rebellion. Because if we're living in rebellion, if we're Christians, we would have been born a Muslim. And so it's justified to fight. <laughs> it's justified to kill you because you have rebelled against Allah. Make sense? So this, this, remember, this whole worldview, this is, how this, is, this is why these things happen. 
So the next question I want to get to here before this class ends is, how do we approach this? So this is kind of a quick overview of the Islamic faith, real quick, but give some basis here. Now as Christians, and especially within the Anabaptist faith, how do we approach this? What is our call to the Muslim people? About a quarter of the world's population. What's our call? Any thoughts? Do we have any ways to... Uh, the last one here, I have it written down here, is some advantages we have to reach Muslims. I believe we do, as the Anabaptist faith has some advantages over general Christianism. And we're going to talk about this. And some of these ideas were from an article that Alan Roth had wrote. But uh, and I also want to read something here, a little found it in your back. Last evening, my wife picked it up back here in your back of your... How many read this one? Can you read this? It's back in the back. I'll read a little bit of this and we'll go into this. Basically, it says, about nine years ago, I was sitting in the director's office of a large Islamic high school in deep southern Thailand. After being referred to the school by a Muslim background believer whom I'd met at a prayer meeting earlier, I had applied for a job as an English teacher at this Muslim school in Nairawat. During the course of the conversation with the director, I learned he had been to the USA some 10 years earlier and had visited my home state of Pennsylvania. I told the director that I'd grown up in Pennsylvania. He asked, are you Amish? I informed him that my family had been Amish until I was 13 years old, and that my grandparents were still Amish, and that even today many of my beliefs and values parallel those of the Amish people. The Muslim director excitedly replied, 10 years ago, when I visited Pennsylvania, I was very impressed with what I saw in the lifestyle of the Amish and wondered if there was any way to get some Amish people to work in my school. Then he looked at me and added, you're finally here. I've been waiting for you for 10 years. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Opportunities. Opportunities. Because they do, they value family. It's, it's kind of chaotic sometimes <laughs> because of how they, they're very male-dominant, it feels like. <laughs> But they do value a, the, the idea of having families in a sense. So family life is one, it's not letter A. Some ways that we can connect with the Islamic faith and try to be a witness and try to reach out to them in the Christian faith. One is because of family life. The second one would be modesty. <laughs> in general Christian, modesty isn't thought of real high, is it? But they value Modesty. And so they, they would respect that side of us. Let her see us hospitality. It was interesting. Um, Alan wrote a story here uh, a little bit about uh, hospitality. Also providing strong, this is from Alan's article here, also providing strong connections are a hospitality and worth ethic as well as our appreciation of modesty and traditional gender. Uh, okay. Our Anabaptist emphasis on hospitality is often outdone in Islamic cultures. Muslims may even borrow money in order to give you a good meal. <laughs> the idea, they, they do value it. And, and that's something we also do, don't we? We enjoy sitting down over a meal, talking and speaking. We have people at the back door ready to invite you over for supper. Uh, Randy had asked me different times, do you want to go somewhere before we come tonight or go afterwards to somebody's house? To, um, and so this idea that we are, that's something else. We connect with the Islamic people. Another one would be uh, the head covering. It really is. Because of that would be something they would practice. And the last one I'm going to talk about is actually is a... Um, it says here, another part where Alan wrote here, some years ago, DNI... Uh, which is Destination International, was invited by a Spanish pastor named Pedro Reyes to work among the Muslims in Spain. When he invited us to come to Spain, he said, you Mennonites have a unique contribution to make to missions among Muslims. I think, I think Mennonites have a special call to work among Muslims. Interesting. Interesting. And then when I asked him what he meant, he replied, the head covering, modesty, hospitality, and family life are part of the culture that is closer to the Muslim culture than much of the mainstream Europe. 
Muslims are community people. So are Mennonites. Muslims who accept Christ are rejected and need a community. They often are not accepted in evangelical churches, nor can they accept the type of dress or focus they see in the churches. We have to reach Muslims in a holistic way. Europeans, including Christians, have thrown off so much. There's hardly anything left to throw off anymore. But you people still believe in modesty. It just, it's just interesting. I think God has a call on us, guys. We have an opportunity to reach into the Islamic faith. and share Because I believe a lot of them want to do what's right. You know what I'm saying? They grew up with this teaching, and they think this is the way. They don't know of any other. Yes. Okay. And he asked about my profession. Yes. I said we're Mennonites and we have a, a temple in here in the, in the West. And he said, oh, I guess I'm a Muslimite. <laughs> I'm a Muslimite. He wanted to connect. That's okay, yeah. And so we had a nice little conversation. Yeah. 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 No, we have, we have, a, we have an opportunity. It takes patience <laughs> because it's very hard for them to leave the Islamic faith because it's so intertwined with their culture and their family. <laughs> and like I said, when someone leaves it, they need community. They're used to having community. And we, within our Anabaptist faith, do decently well at a community, right? That's part of the benefit. It's a blessing we have within our churches. We are community-oriented. We work together. We do things together. We enjoy each other's company. And that's part of the, 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 the bond of the Islamic faith also. And they have, it's called what they call, uh, letter E here, we also have a form of Ummah. This is a term that they use with Islamic faith. Basically it's this. Ummah is an Arabic word that means community. It is, it is the belonging sense of Islam through religious commands, ideology, cultural practices, etc. that provides belonging and structure. Can you imagine if you prayed five times a day with everybody else around you? Wouldn't you start feeling... You, go to, you, you practice Ramadan together? You fast together? You see what I'm saying? It brings a community. You're working together. And then all of a sudden, someone leaves and becomes a Christian. They're like outcasts because all of a sudden they're not part of this culture. And that's where we got to stick in there and say, no, come. <laughs> we'll be your community. We'll be your help. And so, yes, the, we have, I think God has placed us, uh, yes, Alan mentioned, like, in the prisons it is somewhat. Uh, he just, I feel what I read here. Uh, I'm not sure, generally, in the world, I'm not positive on that. Uh, it's very cultural. They probably have children, and just within that ways. But uh, it's interesting. Uh, where can I find it here? If I can find it real quick. He just he mentioned something about I think it was here. I can't find it. Right. I thought I read somewhere about like the, within this, the uh, prison system uh, because it's community oriented, you know, somewhat that idea. Um, forget how he mentioned it, but no, it, it's a very it's very sad because it's, it's a false religion. They're striving to have peace with the Creator. You know what I'm saying? That's their goal. They believe in one God. They created everything. They want to have peace with him. And they're looking for a way to get there. And they're doing all these things, trying to attain it. But they're not going to reach it. And so they get to the point and say, well, if I do jihad, I'll automatically get there. I'll do it. Because I want peace with my God. I'm sorry? Exactly. It's just their name of God. No, it's not a real God. It's, it's wrong. It's false. But that's, what they, that's how they think. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's, I'm trying to think how they think. They want to have peace with this Allah, which they believe is creator. And so they want, and they're doing all these things trying to gain it, and it's not going to work. But they, a lot of them don't know different. <laughs> and it's just what they grew up. And so as Christians, we have a call in our life, don't we? There's so many, all these different worldviews. Uh, tomorrow night we'll talk about some others. Uh, and so just uh, recognizing that uh, Islamic faith is real, <laughs> as far as it's a real 
is a worldview. This is their culture. This is their people. And how can we as Christians enter into that and help them see, the, see what really is real? What can we do? What can we do? One thing I know we can do is pray, right? And I want to bring that up. If I have, uh, we'll do it quickly and give a little time of prayer after that, and then we'll shut her down. If I can bring this up here, if it'll come up again. Hey, it came up. Good.